everybody on this episode of the MacGyver After Show. We're breaking down Season 1, Episode 14, Fish Scaler. It's Evaluation Day at the Phoenix Foundation. See who gets a passing grade and see who's gone rocky ground. Let's do it. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, AfterBuzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Yes! Hey, everybody, look at that. It is the sweet sounds of the 80s MacGyver show leading us into the MacGyver After Show right here on AfterBuzz TV. Of course, we're uh, breaking down every episode this season of the MacGyver After Show, the reboot there on CBS. I'm your host, Frank Moran. You can follow me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. Now, of course, this would be the time that I'd introduce my co-host, Mike Kalinowski, but he's decided to hit the slopes. Uh, on a little family retreat, so he'll be back here next week to help me break down the rest of the season. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, I, folks, you can like us on Facebook. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you know what? You can hop in the chat. In fact, if you hop in the chat right now, you can uh, chat with me as I break down this episode. Love to hear what you think about the, the series in general, or this episode in particular. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to hop into episode 14, Fish Scaler. Now, of course, uh, what happened there at the uh, 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 Patricia Thornton, she is now out of the Phoenix Foundation, so they have to have a new head of operations, and that is Director Maddie Weber. Uh, regarded very highly in government operations, and now she's left a uh, very uh, prestigious gig at Homeland Security now to take over for the Phoenix Foundation. So she's kind of dropped off the mat, uh, dropped off the map in terms of other government organizations. Nobody knows exactly where she landed, but. Uh, accordingly, Phoenix Foundation, they're kind of their own separate entity, getting to get to do what they want. So uh, a really good idea for uh, Maddie, uh, Maddie Weber to come in. But, of course, uh, if you're coming into a new place, you want to find out how good the rest of the people that are working for you are. So that means you got to do some evaluations. And that's pretty much the through line for the entire episode. We do have a plot that sends Jack and Mac out on the road to uh, uh, on a mission. But the main gist of the episode is seeing how our core four... Uh, Jack, Mac, Riley, and Bozer deal when they uh, do when they get evaluated by Miss uh, Maddie Weber. So it starts off, of course, probably the one that's probably eh, maybe the most nervous is Bozer, and understandably so because he is uh, certainly the newest member to the team, and his standing at the Phoenix Foundation is kind of tenuous at best. I mean, he's not really been trained to be a field field agent, nor any sort of uh, you know special agent at all, any government agent agency training. So. He, uh, you know, he's got his makeup skills to rely on, his special effects work, and everything that he's done in film to rely on, and uh, he's provided its valuable assistance to Jack and Mac and Riley. But you know, with a new director in town, he may not have, she may not have the same kind of view of Bozer as Patricia Thornton did. So he's talking with Mac at the beginning of the episode, trying to figure out uh, where his standing is. And we also do find out though that Mac is not excited about this evaluation as well because uh, Maddie Weber. Wild card. He knew Patricia Thornton. She brought him into the Phoenix Foundation. That was somebody that he knew uh, how he could, how far he could go, uh, what he could do, what he couldn't do with Patricia Thornton. Betty Weber, though, this is a whole new ball game, especially given her tenuous relationship with Jack. And through the, throughout the episode, we're trying to figure out why Jack and Maddie Weber kind of had a part falling out back when uh, Jack was part of the CIA. And we never really get that story. It, it, the story gets started several times, and every time Jack tries to start it, it ends up getting interrupted by somebody. So I feel like that story is still waiting to come out for exactly why Jack and Maddie don't get along. But we're not going to get it this episode. Just a few teases. Uh, and it starts off, the first person actually getting evaluated is Jack. And it's really awkward between him and Maddie. They're basically just sitting there in her, in her office 
not really talking, just staring at each other, having some kind of weird, perverse staring contest. Maddie's ready to just kind of talk about something, or at least, you know, kind of move on, but Jack really doesn't have anything to say, so they're just being awkwardly silent. Silent, wow, I... Mac, Riley, and Bozer kind of look on. And we find out that Mac, he's been so nervous about having this evaluation with uh, Maddie that he's actually kind of sabotaged the last two uh, scheduled meetings that they were going to have for that evaluation. So, uh, you know, finally it's going to come. Mac's time's coming at the end of this episode. So the evaluation is going to happen. But before anything else can get started, though, is we kind of got our mission of the week. And so Maddie calls the rest of the team into the room that she's in with Jack and find out that Riley's been working on some new facial recognition technology. He has a new software program for that. And it helps kind of uh, uh, surf YouTube to kind of try to profile people that are found like in viral videos, whatnot, any of the kind of videos that people post to perhaps get some facial recognition off of them and help them find uh, very wanted felons. And her technology uh, is so good that it actually does get a 17-point recognition, point match, excuse me, for a known fugitive, uh, Douglas Bishop. He's the sixth most wanted member of the FBI most wanted list. Uh, he was actually worked in the Philadelphia mob and is uh, charged with the murder of an FBI agent, a high-ranking one. And he's been on the lam for years and years and years. And nobody's ever been able to get close to this gentleman. And so it's always been kind of odd because nobody's quite sure how they can trust the FBI because this uh, this person should not be out on the lam this long, especially after killing an FBI agent. So the fact that he's been able to be kind of on his own rogue for this long without being captured kind of gives uh, Maddie the idea that there's probably somebody on the inside helping him out. So, what they want to do is uh, they want to kind of canvas, the, uh, send out Jack and Matt, uh, Jack and Mac to find him and bring him into the Phoenix Foundation. Try to find out what he knows first before turning him loose to the FBI because certainly if there's somebody that's uh, a, a mole or uh, a rogue agent inside the FBI that has set up Douglas, you don't want to just give him back to the FBI and possibly get killed before he can kind of lead you to who that insider FBI agent is. So, Jack and Mac, they head down to Atlanta and they go to the convenience store that was used in the video. And Douglas isn't there, but they do talk to the uh, the, the woman there in the uh, that was actually seen in the viral video, hitting uh, throwing a bottle over a would be robber's head. And uh, yeah, what I do like about that, she has already been approached by other people before, wanting development deals, you know, to do stuff with her, and she doesn't want anything to do with it. But when Max is, you know, what we understand. We're, you know, we're big Hollywood producers as well. We were coming out here, but we didn't actually want to talk to you. We saw somebody else in the video that seemed intriguing to us, and we'd like to cast him in our project. And shows the worker the picture of Douglas. And she recognizes him and says, you know what? I don't know where he lives, but, you know, he is awfully fond of Eileen, the cashier here. In fact, if you look at the uh, right there at the cashier window, there's a bunch of drawings on there. And those are drawings that are done by Douglas to her because he's clearly smitten with her. So doesn't seem like much to go on but matt looks at the drawings and realizes hey you know this is probably uh, the angle of these drawings in this, the cityscape it looks like it's probably been drawn from somebody's window so kind of figuring out like this city the buildings that are in the background i can get a map kind of triangulate the uh, location of where these the this drawing would have happened and maybe that's how we can find out where he lives so jack's a little dubious but come on it's mac you know he's not going to propose an idea if he doesn't think it has a chance of working so, of course, they uh, get a photo of the drawing. Mac buys a map. They look out there on the truck. Uh, Mac actually kind of triangulates an area, and they go, they locate the apartment that Douglas has been hiding out in. By the time they get there, though, 
Douglas isn't anywhere to be found. But Mac does see I uh, on the uh, on a piece of newspaper written down uh, a couple numbers, and so he rips that part off of the newspaper. But before they can do anything else, uh, two FBI agents burst in through the door, and they get Jack to drop his weapon. They take Jack and Mac into custody, and I was wondering how other other agencies kind of interacted with the Phoenix Foundation. And this is a really cool part because you get to kind of see how what other government agencies know about the Phoenix Foundation, and it turns out. Really nothing, because Jack and Mac don't carry any ID on them with them. I, I don't know if that's a, a standard thing. If you're working for the Phoenix Foundation, you take no sort of identification on you, uh, or this just for some reason they didn't happen to bring any for this particular one. Uh, but regardless, there is no identification. All they know is that they have a gun, uh, Mac's got a Swiss Army knife, and they were in a wanted fugitive's apartment. So they put Jack and Mac in the back of one of the Fed's cars. And this was a little clunky in this part of the scene, is where they, they do make it very clear that one of the FBI agents who's taken Mac's a Swiss Army knife and put it in an evidence bag, they'd make sure they do a nice, clear shot establishing that that FBI agent had opened up the passenger side, front passenger side door and placed that evidence bag just in the front passenger seat right in front of Mac. So it's, yeah, it's like, all right, clearly, if you're going to show us doing him doing that, it's going to come in play. And it doesn't take long for that to come into play. So as Jack and Mac are sitting in the back of the Fed's car, they realize, you know what? These guys have Philadelphia accents, and they're way out of their jurisdiction. So maybe it's not a good thing for us to be in this car because they could be this this rogue element. Maybe one or both of them are the rogue FBI agent that could be running Douglas. So not a good idea for to let them take us anywhere because they could be eliminating us for all we know. So... Mac says he has an idea, but Jack's probably not going to like it. So Mac reaches out with his foot and kicks the gear lever, gear lever of Agent Brooks, who's one of the uh, two FBI agents there, kicks the lever of that car into neutral, and they're at a slight uh, incline. So the car starts rolling backwards down the hill. Uh, the, the two FBI agents try to run up to catch it, but Mac locks the door so they can't get inside, and the car builds up speed as it's going down backwards on the hill. And Jack happens to notice that another car is turned up the hill as well heading towards them so mac has to hop in the front seat kind of he's already slipped the handcuffs underneath his legs so he's got use of his hands and he's able to grab a swiss army knife open up the evidence bag take it out of there and then hotwire the car with the clock running because they've got a car creating up uh, towards them while they're also heading back downhill so even if that car that's racing towards them moves out of the way they're still sliding down that hill into into uh, a traffic going both ways uh, but of course, Mac, he's able to get the car started. Jump, uh, you know, uh, hot wires it, gets the start, gets the car rolling, and there's a nice little sequence there where he get, does like the uh, Y turn and the G force, so that just kind of presses Jack's face up against the uh, the, the back passenger windshield there, as they kind of do a little 180, then just take off and get away. And Jack doesn't want to mention any of this to Maddie Weber. It's like let, we don't have to tell her any of this. Let's just keep going on with the investigation. Uh, cut to you know we find out Maddie. No fool. Uh, she already is onto what the guys have been doing because uh, the Phoenix Foundation actually gets copied on all inner uh, inner memos with the FBI and the alerts to all the different government agencies. So for the FBI, when an alert comes up that an agent's car was stolen uh, with identification of two men that had no ID, that sounded very similar to Jack and Mac, Manny has an idea of what's up. So they fess up that, yes, uh, you know, we we have we have their car. It wasn't intentional, but we just these people are from Philadelphia. They looked like way out of their jurisdiction. We didn't know if we could trust them, and so Maddie's like, "Well, great, you got away. So what's your next step?" And 
Uh, Mac brings up that, uh, well, uh, actually, they're alerted that uh, Douglas's car has been found at a um, at an airport, and they said, "All right, well, you know, we now, uh, at a uh, so they realize like, hey, if his car is there, clearly he's not actually going to be in the, doing that. We can rule that method of transportation out of the city out because he's been on the land for eight years. He's not dumb enough to do something like that. Leave a car in an easily identifiable public transportation place." So instead, Max says, you know what, I got this number off a piece of newspaper and uh, has Riley kind of run it, and they figure out that it's a bus schedule, and he's going to be departing on a bus at 5 o'clock. So they know where the bus station is. They know what time he's going to be leaving. So now they just have to make their way to the bus station. And uh, they find the bus station there, and they happen to go to, uh, see good old Douglas about to board the bus. And that nice little shake sequence. I don't know why. They kind of made such a big deal about it. I, I would have thought that Jack and Mac would have kept a little calmer and cooler and just kind of walk like two guys through a bus depot until they got closer to Douglas and got the drop on him. But instead, they just kind of start hustling, kind of look nervous and anxious so that when Douglas, who's really cautious and paranoid, starts looking around and sees two guys kind of, you know, in a slightly agitated state, kind of heading, the, making a beeline towards him. He bugs out and takes off. And nice little chase sequence. Of course, Jack continues in hot pursuit, but Mac stops at a, at a janitor's cleaning supply cart and gets a couple of bottles of cleaning liquid and uh, some uh, some rope. And actually, Mac fashions a, like almost like a bolo, uh, which is kind of cool, using the rope, t- kind of tying both ends to either, either caps of the two bottles, and then runs out also chasing against Douglas and kind of winds up and then throws it in the bolo, kind of the, the makeshift bolo. Wraps around Douglas's legs, legs and takes him down. So we've got our man, and Douglas uh, says, "Hey, guess what? You know what? I, th- I'm not the guy that's done any of this. Uh, I mean, I certainly was in the Philadelphia mob, uh, but whoever this person was in the FBI has set me up, and I've been doing their dirty work because you know they, they have this kind of leverage on me, and if I don't do what they say, then they would kill me. Uh, so he's been just kind of." on the lamb, kind of, you know, being on the run for all this. Uh, and initially, Jack and Mac are kind of like, wait, what? That doesn't really make any sense. Uh, but they end up taking him to a... They, they buy a story enough uh, that they say, all right, you know what we're doing? We're going to take you into hiding with us. You're going to stick with us because they see Brooks and Cho, the two FBI agents who lost their car, thanks to Jack and Mac, make their way to the bus station. So they figure, you know what? Better stick with us. We'll figure out your story checks out. Uh, so stick with. Oh, we're going to go to a hotel, hide out while we sort everything out. Uh, so while they're doing that, and figuring out that Brooks and Cho are at the top of the suspect list, we have Riley having her eval with Maddie Weber finally, and it starts off okay. Uh, Maddie gives a really kind of heartfelt speech about. Or excuse me. Um, Riley gives a heartfelt speech about what being part of the Phoenix Foundation is meant for her. Certainly, you know, being uh, her hacking into the NSA not once but twice, uh, and uh, being in prison. She actually wants a chance to kind of, you know, make up for everything she's done and, and do something good in the world. And Maddie says, you know, that's a very sincere speech, but I, I don't actually, I want to talk to you about something else too, because a year before you did any of this NSA hacking, you hacked into the Pentagon. And initially, Riley wants to deny it, but Maddie is having none of that. Says, so, you know, I, you, of course, you went by a different handle then. You are Artemis 37, and I know you are. So I want to know why you hacked into the Pentagon. And Riley doesn't really say anything. I mean, you know that she's she's done it just by the expression on her face, but she doesn't really give a good reason. So 
these evaluations are to determine if Jack, Mac, Riley, and Bozer, they should stay part of the Phoenix Foundation and be part of this team. And Maddie looks at Riley and says, you know, I think the reason that you did, you, you went into the Pentagon is that you just wanted to see if you could. And she's, Riley's incredibly skilled, and Maddie equates her to almost like a, a loaded gun, and it just has to go off. And Maddie doesn't like the idea that this could be just going off at any time. So if it is going to go off, at least for right now, Maddie would probably like to have a loaded weapon close to her and hopefully be in control of when it gets fired. But she allows Riley to stay on the team on a provisional basis. Uh, if there's any kind of mess-ups after that, Riley's going to be sent packing. Uh, I, To be honest, I'm not really worried about that. I feel like Riley certainly has a great track record of, of our efforts since she joined the Phoenix Foundation, so I think the good definitely outweighs the bad. But it does at least add a little tension and suspense to Riley and kind of keep her motivated. So for the sake of the plot, I can understand why, but I think in the long term, this is not something that anything Riley's going to have to seriously worry about. Uh so we we find out though that uh uh we have Jack and Mac in the hotel room and uh with Douglas and Douglas does bring up uh you know the the woman that he was really interested in uh Eileen and it was cool because he, when he first went in she pointed out uh some some uh, a snack food and uh he doesn't he's not really a huge fan of that but every time he came in she would uh, see him smile and point out the snack food again, and he would just continue to buy it, even though he didn't like it. And the reason he did it was that he felt like if he didn't do that, if he tried to start thinking about something else, the whole kind of his life story would come bubbling out, which wouldn't do him any good, nor Eileen any good to tell the truth about why he was really hiding out in this area. So instead, he just kept on eyeing the snacks, uh, drawing her pictures, but felt terrible because, you know, this is a woman that he was very much connected to had uh and she seemed to be interested in him and yet his past and everything that had led up to this point is kind of preventing him from being with somebody that he really cares about and certainly jack jack specifically can relate to that with the with sarah uh, a strong connection a love between he and sarah but she's moved on and married somebody else and uh you know max got his girl issues as well so they can relate to that uh but then they get a uh get a call uh, Riley, Riley and Maddie give them the heads up that, hey, there was an alert issued to the FBI that uh, with your location and that you're armed and dangerous and the feds are already on the way. And they find out the person that actually did this order was Agent Brooks. They try to cover their tracks electronically, but Agent Brooks is on the way. Is the one responsible for that. Uh, and, you know, actually, I should jump back one second before this all happens where they're hiding in the hotel room. Uh, Maddie does receive a call from a high-ranking FBI agent who knows of Maddie's work, but knows that she dropped out from Homeland Security and kind of fell off the radar in terms of known government operations. Uh, but when this FBI agent heard about two people being involved with two potential rogue agents there in the search for Douglas, he figured maybe Maddie might know something about him because all the other agencies deny knowing who Jack and Mac are. So I figured, like, well, Maddie's not in anybody in any government agency's radar. There's these two guys that are involved in this operation. Every other agency is denying it. Maybe Maddie knows something. So does reach out to Maddie to see if she can help him out uh, because he feels like, you know, that I have somebody on the inside who's working against the FBI, and I'm hoping that you can help me out. But I like Maddie. Uh, she doesn't give anything to this FBI person. I, uh, You know, just 
you know, maybe at like the slimmest uh, kind of committal there, but otherwise it's like, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, thing, yeah, I, I'm aware of the situation, but I can't admit to uh, having any agents in the field about this. Uh, so the FBI agent definitely wants to get help. And pretty much his open book kind of shares his cards with Maddie. And Maddie says, well, you know what? If something comes my way, you know, if I hear of something, I'll let you know and just hangs up. So she does know that the FBI also suspect they have an inside man working against them uh, and assisting Douglas. So while we cut back to the hotel room and they're looking at this, uh, before, the, before the feds get the order to break into their, into their hotel room, Maddie has found the security footage from the night that the agent that was going to originally take Douglas into custody was killed. And supposedly it was Douglas's fault. And during the moment that she, this agent is shot, we see the, static, the, the security camera goes very much staticky. And certainly back in that day, a lot of video degradation because it's taken from an old security camera. That is part of what would happen in the, in the eight years that it's happened since that video was first recorded. But Riley is able to deduce that at that moment when the gunshot happens, there was some more uh, uh, deterioration, some static added into the footage. And Riley's able to determine that that is not... Uh, accidental at all it is deliberate somebody has gone in and manipulated the tape added a bunch of extra static at that moment when the gun is fired to kind of confuse everybody and still make it seem like douglas is the one that killed that agent so riley's able to work out a, a program that extracts the extracts the static and they actually get a clean view of what happened when that agent was shot and we see an a, somebody else kind of pop up behind a vehicle near douglas and fires a shot that does kill the agent so the agent, uh, the agent is killed, but they, Jack Mack, finally realize that Douglas is innocent. Yeah, certainly he's, he works for the mob, so there are things that he's guilty of, but he's not guilty of killing this agent Ortiz that was trying to extract Douglas. So they know that Douglas is on the up and up about this, and that you know this whoever this rogue FBI agent is is desperately after him. So now with the feds hot on their trail to hotel, uh, making their way, they've already parked, they're making their way up the stairs, heading towards their room. They're kind of boxed in. Mac takes his uh, takes Jack's key, kind of files it down, and he wants to make a bump key. And this happens to be one of those hotels where all they each room has uh, a door that connects it with the room next to it. So Mac takes Jack's key and for, forces uh, forges a bump key, basically shaves down the uh, the bumps on the key to make it so it can fit into the lock pretty much for any of the doors there. And if you give it a good bump, it'll pop the lock for those interconnecting doors. And Jack, Mac, and Douglas kind of make their way down various rooms. And that's a kind of a very cool sequence because they, as they enter each different room, there's another occupant in there with a different life happening inside there. So the first room they enter has a, uh, a gentleman showering. And so they have to quietly get through there before the guy comes out of the shower to see them. They make their way into another room. Uh, and then they finally make their way to the third room where there's a, uh, which I do like that there's a uh, young girl just kind of watching TV and seeing them and they kind of do this little awkward wave. Uh, but they're far enough away from their original room that when the feds come in and break down the door of their hotel room, they're able to sneak out of the door of the room that they're in currently and sneak out the back way and get into a vehicle and take off. So once again, they barely elude capture from the feds. But uh, as I was mentioned, Riley's able to backtrack the source of who sent this order to the feds even though they tried to, uh, tried to really cover their tracks, Riley's able to figure it out. And it comes to Agent Brooks. They don't know if his partner Agent Chosen on it yet, but definitely know that Agent Brooks is in on it. So they figured that's our guy. That's the one that's been running Douglas. That's the, that's the inside rat 
for the FBI. So let's put him in custody. And Maddie says, you know what? I'm going to set up an exchange now. So if we know who Agent Brooks is a guilty party, I can now set up an exchange where you can try take Douglas, drop him off with another member of the FBI that I trust, and everything's good. So... Jack and Mac are on their way to do that drop-off there with Douglas. But Bozer, who's been watching a lot of this from uh, from at the Phoenix Foundation with Maddie and Riley, uh, it's kind of gnawing at him. And it's giving a, he's going to have his evaluation later on in the afternoon, but he comes to Maddie's office in the morning. And uh, Maddie's like, why are you here? Your evaluation's later in the afternoon. And Bozer, very nervous because he feels like he doesn't feel like he's on good standing at the Phoenix Foundation, given how he got in and, you know, his obvious lack of, uh, you know, government talent skills, agency skills for something like this. But he says, uh, I just I think you're wrong about thinking that it's Agent Brooks. And basically he calls Maddie out, tells her that, you know, her hunch is wrong and gives his theory as to why. And the fact is that Brooks has been a uh, just a field agent for over you know 20 years and that if, if he... Uh, somebody that could make something like this happen to kind of uh, elude, uh, uh, help Douglas elude capture, keep him kind of underground and hidden, compartmentalized for this long, is not somebody that's just a field agent. they got to be a little bit higher up in the chain uh, to have a little bit of juice, to have some connections, to make things happen without seeming obvious. And then what they do is then they blame their subordinates. So you blame somebody like Agent Brooks. And uh, so Bozer shares his feelings, given his track record, uh, both uh, in jobs that he's had in his life and, and just kind of seeing how people react in some of those situations, and shares it with Maddie. And Maddie buys into it and calls Jack. Uh, Jack and Mac as they're making the exchange. Gets a hold of Mac as Jack is walking Douglas towards this FBI agent, who happens to be the, the, the gentleman that called Maddie at the beginning of the episode, the FBI agent that was looking for help, thinking that there was a mole inside his agency. And uh, Maddie calls Mac and asks, uh, are you delivering Douglas to the FBI agent? Mac says, of course, we're in a parking garage. We're doing that. And says, is it an African-American gentleman? Because that's the person that I set up to pick up Douglas. And Mac looks and realizes, nope, that is not an African-American gentleman. It is a uh, tall, white-bearded dude. So uh, Mac runs out to tell Jack not to do the handoff to Douglas, but they're already too close that the FBI agent is able to get Douglas to pull a gun on him. Uh, Jack and Mac start making their way towards them, and the FBI agent's like, you know what? Don't come any closer. Uh, I'll kill you. And Jack's like, you know, killing us, that's already going to be way more trouble than you need. So you're not going to do that. He says, well, you know what? I'll kill Douglas because, you know, I don't care if he lives or dies. Uh, Mac, though, of course, in a situation like that, starts looking around his surroundings to see what he can use to kind of save the day. And notices a uh, one of those hybrid car chargers, electric car chargers, notices the, the, the uh, circuit breaker, and then notices uh, a light that happens to be from uh, a ceiling light from the parking garage, kind of above where this FBI agent is holding Doug. So while Jack kind of distracts the agent for a second, Mac runs, grabs the uh, the electric car charger, jams it into the circuit breaker. It ends up kind of over surging out the the circuits there. The uh, the light above them, Douglas and the uh, FBI agent kind of pops. Uh, the FBI agent's distracted it enough for Jack to come in, get that upper hand, knock him down to the ground, grab his weapon, and hold it on the FBI agent. So Thanks to uh, some quick thinking, Douglas is free to uh, to continue living. Now, uh, we do see that Mac is kind enough to give him his phone call. Uh, give him his, his phone so he can make a phone call. Instead of calling your lawyer, your one phone call, he uses the call back to the convenience store that he was in in Atlanta and talk to Eileen, the cashier, and basically pours his heart out, tells him every, tells her the whole story, his whole what he's been doing for the past eight years, why he's really there, why he was really hiding. And 
Eileen is cool with it. So much so, in fact, that uh, since uh, Douglas is going to be going away to prison for a while, who knows how long, given that he did do some bad things, uh, and then he was coerced by the safety agent to do some more. So hopefully during the uh, the trial, some of those things would be eliminated because it was also through forced coercion. But there are enough things that he's done in his life to at least spend some time incarcerated. But Eileen is going to visit him while he's in incarceration and uh, see what they can do. And... Douglas is ecstatic because it's like now there are no secrets. I can be free. I can continue to live my life. And I like how he wraps it up because he goes, I owe it all to you, Mac. And no mention whatsoever to Jack. Jack was right there. Jack wrestled the gun out of the FBI agent's hand, uh, knocked him down to the ground, uh, pulled the gun on him so that he didn't attack Douglas anymore. But only Mac, only Mac gets a shout out for saving the day. Uh, Poor Jack. Doesn't make his way. Doesn't happen for him. Uh, So. Douglas is back. Uh, he's in custody. He's going to be meeting Eileen. Nice little happy ever after. That means it's time to go back to the Phoenix Foundation and find out how evaluations are going to go. So we have got uh, Jack, Mac, and Riley all hanging out outside Maddie Weber's office. And Bozer is inside getting his evaluation. And I'll say, just as soon as they comment on, you know, where's Bozer? Is he inside? The door opens, and Bozer and Maddie exit. And there's a lot of laughing going on right there. And it turns out that, you know, Bozer... Uh, really impressed Maddie because, uh, as she says, uh, Matt, Maddie likes that Bozer told her she was wrong and she can ta- she can teach somebody craft. That's something that she can teach. But what she can't teach is somebody speaking truth to power. And so she really likes what Bozer did. Uh, was able to, you know, stuck to his gun, stuck to his belief, and was willing to go and tell Maddie that she was wrong. So Bozer, very much, you know, for probably being one of the most worried, I, th- I think it's probably him and Mac, probably the most worried, uh, is sitting on cloud nine in terms of his relationship with Maddie and the Phoenix Foundation. So now, uh, while they're waiting for that to clear up, uh, Jack starts to tell Riley and Mac a little bit about why he and Maddie are so estranged. Uh, and before he can really get to why, even though Mac desperately wants to know because he wants to know how to handle the evaluation when he's alone in a room with Maddie, Maddie interrupts and says, all right, Mac, it's time for your evaluation. So again, as I talked about at the beginning, the story about why Jack and Maddie are so kind of estranged is something that's teased at, but not formally addressed. But I have a feeling the show's kind of, the show definitely is going to reveal that at some point. Uh, how many more episodes away, we'll actually find out. But uh, it's been alluded to and brought up to and almost revealed so many times, and especially in this episode, that they are going to come back and we'll figure out what the deal is between them. Maybe it'll serve up a plot point later on for for an entire episode later this season. Maybe they have to go back and fix something from an old mission that uh, Jack was on that Maddie was supposed to be running. So who knows? But I feel like, yeah, we are definitely going to get... It would be cool if it's not just something that's talked about, but actually has some kind of impact on a direct case that they're working on. But regardless, Matt goes in and has his meeting with Maddie. And uh, Maddie just is up front and says, you know what, I'm not like Thornton. Uh... And she's she's not going to let Mac do whatever he wants. And, you know, for whatever reasons, whether Maddie uh, stuck her neck out for Mac because she liked him or she was a rogue agent and she didn't care what happened in this organization, the fact is that uh, Mac definitely had a lot of rope to work with when he's working with Thornton. And uh, basically says, like, you know what, I don't like this this improvisation thing. You know, it's all about being prepared. You just can't wing it. Uh, and as Maddie says, it's better to be lucky than good, but everyone who said that winds up dead. And Maddie doesn't want to be there when Mac's luck runs out. Now, 
Uh, I do like as as much as that seems like she's like, we're kind of setting up the trope that uh, Mac now has to deal with like some kind of uh, micromanaging boss that's not going to let him do what Mac does best to be able to get everybody out of these missions successfully uh, and then just see how Mac just is kind of like hedged in and not Mac and then we have episodes where things go wrong because Mac's not able to be Mac. Uh, Maddie Weber is really cool because she says, you know, if you disagree with me, good. I respect that. This isn't a job where you can doubt yourself even for a second. So she offers Mac a deal. You can either play by my own rules or prove me wrong. Show me that your way works and won't get you killed and I'll back off. But if you mess up even one time, then the word improvisation falls out of your vocabulary. So I think that's really cool. It's given Mac an opportunity to to prove to Maddie Weber, who has no other experience other than what she's seen in records uh, and mission files about Mac- MacGyver and his relationship with Jack, Riley, Bozer, uh, in the Phoenix Foundation. And even though they may have a high success rate, there is, you know, MacGyver does his thing. But, you know, Maddie needs to, needs to be shown that that is not just something that's lucky, uh, you know, but that is just a necessary thing that Mac needs to make what he does, what he does so well, so successful. Uh, Mac needs that that danger in the moment, be able to look around and just kind of wing things. Uh, that's that's the kind of environment that he kind of flourishes in. So I'm I'm glad that Matt, Maddie definitely said, you know, stop doing this. Stop doing this. Be like a standard field agent. Be more like Jack, who kind of, you know follows agency guidelines uh but she's giving mac a chance to show show her stuff but if mac does screw up then of course he's got to stop being the macgyver that we know and love so by that very fact i doubt macgyver is going to screw up because uh if he did then that's that's kind of a brief end of the show uh or it then you have to start figuring out a way to get agent weber off the show because if macgyver's not able to be macgyver then what's the point so uh either Either he's going to be completely successful, it's going to be great, or he's going to screw up one time, kind of be forced to just kind of you know run the straight and narrow, so to speak, in terms of agencies and uh, agency missions and what protocol and what he can do and what he can't do, and then Agent Weber's going to have to be taken off of canvas because you can't keep uh, you can't keep a, a good MacGyver down. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, though Mac is happy to accept the challenge. In fact, he says he's looking forward to it. So. Uh, so that's where we stand right now with his relationship with the Phoenix Foundation. It's up to Mac to prove to, to uh, director Maddie Weber that his way works and works very well. Uh, so that's where we leave this episode. But uh, there was a bit of news that I wanted to share as well. After TV news. On March 10th, uh, which is really cool. Uh, uh, Hawaii Five-0 and MacGyver produced uh, executive release by Peter Lenkov. So since he oversees both shows and they air right next to each other on Friday nights at 8 and 9 o'clock respectively, Hawaii Fi- uh, excuse me, Magnum, uh, MacGyver, then Hawaii Five-0, they're going to do a crossover episode. March 10th, uh, Jack and Mac are going to head over to Hawaii and they're going to end up running in uh, at uh, Agent Show, played by Daniel Day Kim and Linda Park as well. Uh, going to be doing a, uh, an episode where they all team up there to solve a uh, uh, to solve a mission together. So that'll be really cool. And if you realize, uh, Hawaii Five-0 is also crossover with NCIS uh, LA, I believe. So, uh, so if you think about it, it's all creating one huge, larger universe. So, you know, for those continuity uh, loving people, uh, if you love those Marvel, you know, universe building films. There, you know, CBS is doing it on a much smaller scale, but now you've got Hawaii Five-0, NCIS Universe, and MacGyver Universe all intersecting with each other. So, slowly, uh, much like the DC TV Universe on the on Warner Brothers, or excuse me, CW, they're uh, slowly expanding this. So we're getting ready for a huge 
seven-part crossover, I guess, where we get MacGyver crossing over with Y5O, crossing over with NCIS, NCIS LA, and then uh, NCIS New Orleans. So look at that. There's going to be a huge epic crossover dealing with all that. So, uh, And I believe they also cross over with Scorpion at one of the NCIS shows. So you could even fold them into the mix, too, as well. So could be a, a huge epic crossover if uh, the ratings prove well and, you know, that's something that executives would be keen on doing. Uh, but that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be doing it for this episode of the MacGyver Hour Show. Look at that, how time flies when a man is just slowly, kind of silently, or not silently, but just lonely staring into the screen, breaking down an episode for you. Folks, I hope you enjoyed your time with me. I enjoyed uh, just sharing this episode with you. Uh, So, folks, in the meantime, you can like us on Facebook. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for hopping in the chat. Cool to hear your thoughts there. And if you want to continue the conversation with me even after the show is off the air, you can follow me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. As I mentioned, Mike Kalinowski uh, hitting the slopes, but he's back in L.A. now, just fresh in from the airport. So he'll be back here next Sunday with me, breaking down another episode of the MacGyver After Show. And we'll see you next Sunday night right here on AfterBuzz TV. Take care. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 